everybody. My name is Wendy Barlin, and I'm thrilled that you chose to join us today. We are going to be talking about taxes and money and how to make more of it and keep more of it. I'm a CPA, and I've been working with business owners just like you for the last 25 years, advising them on tax strategies and how to keep more of your hard-earned money. I am going to dive into some real basic stuff so that we are all on the same page to get started. Then we'll jump into some specific strategies, but this is an open session, so I want you to ask your questions. I'm going to uh, talk a little bit, but in the meantime, if you want to go ahead and post your questions in the chat, then when I get to a stopping point, um, AJ will read them out loud and we'll get through as many questions today as we can. So thank you again for being here. I know how busy everybody is, and I promise this is going to be worth your while. So the most important thing I want everybody to know today is that you can do this. Taxes are not some big, scary, complicated thing. And here's why. Tax law says anything is deductible for your business that is ordinary and necessary. That is all the law says. And that's simple. However, in those exciting words lies the gray area because you can see that you do not need a degree in tax or accounting to understand that the words ordinary and necessary are extremely broad. So again, the IRS says anything is deductible for your business that is ordinary and necessary. So this opens up a bunch of exciting places where we can play. My most conservative clients will say to me, Wendy, I just want to deduct the basics. I never want to get a letter from the IRS. I just want to play it safe, even if I pay a little more in taxes. And that's okay. My more aggressive clients will say, show me how to play in the gray. Let's stretch that definition of ordinary and necessary as much as we can. Let's go for it within the realm of the law, because we're never, ever going to do anything illegal. I don't want to go to jail. I've heard the food's really bad, um, and nor do you. So we're going to play within ordinary and necessary and understand what that means for your business. Now, that being said, there are three things that are specifically not deductible, and I tell my clients not to go there. One is clothing. So where you and your team wear branded t-shirts, that is deductible. That's a uniform. But if you simply say, please wear a black t-shirt and black pants to work every day, that's considered clothing. It's not a uniform and is not deductible. So you'll laugh, but even the actors and actresses that go to the Academy Awards, they cannot deduct their outfits if they want to play within the law. The second one is golf club and country club dues. So you cannot deduct your dues for the country club and you cannot deduct gym memberships. So I know they seem crazy and random, but those are three things that in black and white within the tax code are not deductible. So let's not go there. Let's go back to playing within ordinary and necessary. So from this day forth, Anytime you bring out a credit card or pay a bill, you're going to say to yourself, could this expense be ordinary and necessary for my business? And if the answer is yes, you found yourself a tax deduction. Now, that being said, 
One crazy story I have that I love to share is about a client of mine who had a Shih Tzu dog, a little white fluffy dog, and she was in the business of real estate. Um, and she deducted all her pet expenses, the grooming, the food, everything. Most of us would go, really? I don't think that is ordinary and necessary for your business. And in fact, she was audited one year, not because of the pet expenses. She was audited for something else. But the auditor said to her, man, pet expenses? She was able to show that her dog was actually her mascot. He was on her website. He was on her business cards. He was featured all over her social media. And guess what? She got a complete bill of health on her audit. All her pet expenses were deductible. So look at your world and see what could be ordinary and necessary for you and your business. And that being said, there are two things I want to cover before we dive into more specifics. One, you have to have receipts. For anything over $25 of expense, you have to have a receipt. Now, it doesn't have to be a piece of paper. It can be a JPEG or a PDF. You take a photo with your phone. Those receipts also do not have to be alphabetized or, or categorized in any way. If God forbid the IRS asks for your receipts, you can just attach a stick drive or PDF, a huge yellow folder of receipts. You have to have receipts. No receipt, no deduction. So there is no receipt jail. So if in fact, to this point in time, you have never kept your receipts or you don't have them for 2023, don't worry about it. The very worst thing that would happen is your deductions may be denied. And maybe we can negotiate some of that out and get some of them back. But just know that the law says you must have a receipt for anything in excess of $25 and a bank statement and a credit card are not considered receipts. I'll say that again to be clear. A bank statement and a credit card are not considered receipts. And here's why I think about it. It makes sense. If you go to Target and spend $100, you could have bought kids stuff. You could have bought personal hygiene products. You could have bought anything. So simply having a credit card that shows Target, September 8th, $25, $400, they don't know what you bought. You have to have an actual receipt that is itemized that shows what you bought. The same with travel. When you stay in a hotel, you can't simply say, oh, Marriott, $1,000. They want to know how many people in the room. Was it room service? Was it television downloads? So very important to keep your receipts. And those receipts, um, JPEG or PDF is absolutely Okay, so your expenses need to be ordinary and necessary, and you must have receipts. And ordinary and necessary applies no matter whether you have an entity or not. So probably one of the most common questions I get every day is, should I incorporate? And if so, what should I be? Should I be an LLC? Should I be an S corp? Should I be a C corp? Should I be a partnership? What should I be? From a tax deductibility point of view, it does not matter. The IRS says you may deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses, period. It doesn't say for this entity or for that entity or only if you're this entity, it doesn't matter. So even if you have no entity and you are operating as a sole proprietor, you get the same tax deductions 
as someone who has a corporation. So I think it's really important to know there are a lot of reasons to incorporate, but getting a tax deduction is not one of them. So before I go any further, I wanted to jump in and see if we had any questions. AJ, do we have any questions in the chat? No. No questions so far. Okay, awesome. I love it. Either everybody's sleeping or everybody's with me. Okay. So I want to talk about um, a very common deduction that I see people in your industry not take, and that is the home office deduction. So I have a lot of home inspectors, I have a lot of appraisers who work out of their homes, and they call me and they say, I'm not taking my home office deduction because my accountant says I'm going to get audited. Okay, that is not true. That hasn't been true in 25 years. There are millions, almost 20 million home office filers in this country. Nobody's coming to your home to check your office. It doesn't need to be a room with a door. Those days are long gone. What it does need to be is your primary office. So here's a situation that comes up fairly often. I have clients who have a warehouse where they also have an office. So they have internet, they have a desk, that's where they keep their trucks, that's where they keep their ladders, that's where they keep their equipment. And then they do their billing, their invoicing, their email from home at night. Well, the IRS says you cannot have both. You cannot have an office and a home office. It's an either or. So again, the criteria to take a home office deduction is that it must be your primary office. And I hope that makes sense for everybody. Now, within your home office, once we've determined that it is, in fact, your primary office, then it does not have to be a room with a door. It could be a piece of your bedroom. It could be your dining room table. So on my website at wendybarlin.com is a free guide for how to calculate your home office deduction. It is a percentage of your rental mortgage interest your utilities, your insurance, and then I usually add in supplies like toilet paper and coffee. And what percentage do you use? This is where we often uh, get a lot of heated discussion. And this is where I think you have a choice within ordinary and necessary. So someone who is extremely conservative will take out a tape measure and measure the actual space that they use for their work. And someone who wants to be a little more aggressive is going to go, 30, maybe 40% of my rent or mortgage interest because I use my bathroom. Sometimes I work on my patio. Sometimes I work in front of the television in the living room. So somewhere in there is where you fall. And this is really important to know who you are. Don't worry what anybody else is doing. If everybody else is deducting 100% of their home as their office, that's probably not a good idea, right? A red flag to a bull. So my guess is it's somewhere between 10% and 50%. My most aggressive people would go with 50. Um, I prefer 25 or 30 because I feel like it's middle of the road, hard to argue with. No one's really going to take issue with that. But if that bothers you, don't go there. Then measure out your square footage and go with that. This is about doing what feels good for you because I'm not looking to evade taxes. What I'm looking to do is help you keep more of your hard-earned money so that you can put it back into your business. 
support your family, support your communities, because this is what it's going to take to rebuild our communities. It's going to take us, small business owners, helping our friends, helping our neighbors, helping our family. And the way we do that is by keeping more of our hard-earned money. So again, we're not doing anything illegal. We're simply playing within the gray area. And I don't want anybody to not take a home office deduction for fear of audit. That hasn't happened in 25 years. And in fact, I think about a month ago, I wrote a blog because the IRS actually said, we are no longer coming to your home. They actually said, we will no longer be doing home visits. Their reason was because they were fearful for their lives, um, but actually they don't have the manpower to do it. And there's just so many home office fathers at this point. So please don't avoid that deduction if you're entitled to it. How are you entitled to it if you have a primary office at home that you work out of? And again, don't worry. My, my, I have a Peloton in my office. I have a television in my office. Nobody's worried about that. It's about a percentage of your expenses. And is it ordinary and necessary in order for you to operate your business? So that's the home office. Do we have any questions about that? We don't have a question about a home office, Wendy, but we do have a question. Uh, Dan asked, should I get a credit card in the company name or is it okay to use a personal credit card for business expenses? Great question. Thank you. So keep your receipts, Dan, no matter what credit card you use, keep your receipts. I actually have one credit card. So if you are incorporated, you are required to separate business and personal. So the way I get around that, because I want to amass miles, I have not paid for an air ticket in years because I put everything on my Delta Amex and that's how I fly around. So I have one credit card, but what I do at the end of the month when that credit card bill is due, I bifurcate the payment, I split it. So I make two payments to Amex because they don't care how they get paid, right? As long as they get paid. I make one payment from my business account and I make one payment from my personal account. That way I'm using one credit card, one in my wallet, one amassing miles, but I make two payments. My deductible expenses get paid out of my corporate or my business account and my personal expenses get paid out of my personal account. That way I'm keeping it separate um, but still using the same credit card. Now, for those of you that want to use two credit cards and if that makes your life easier, go right ahead. But for me, kind of a hack to amass my miles um, is to use one credit card. So that's a great question. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. So covering the home office and kind of the next step from that up is the IRS has come out and said, when you drive from your home to your actual office, that's considered commuting and it's not deductible. Driving from home to your office is commuting, not deductible. When you leave your office and drive out to a client's site, that is deductible. When you drive to meet with your accountant or go to a networking meeting, that is deductible. So what's happened is because of this huge amount of home office filers and the reporting requirements, the IRS has come back and said, okay, if you work from home and it is your primary office, anytime you leave your home and make one stop for business, the entire trip becomes deductible. So now you don't need to go, oh, well, it was three miles to Ace Hardware and another two miles to pick up my son from school and another four miles. 
they're saying that entire trip is now deductible. So think about this. It's a six mile drive to my son's school. If I stop two miles away at a UPS store to make some copies or pick up some envelopes, then I pick up my son and I come home, I've made probably an 18 mile round trip. That entire trip is now deductible because I made one stop that was business related. So you can see again how extremely valuable this home office is because now I'm looking at a good 75% of my mileage being deductible as opposed to the biggest chunk of anyone's day driving to and from your office being called commuting or running to pick up your kids or groceries and now all of a sudden that's commuting not deductible. So again the home office extremely powerful adds this other layer of commuting. Now, for you guys, I know a lot of you drive trucks that you actually use in your business, which is awesome, and they are 100% deductible. However, the IRS wants to know, how do you do your commuting? How do you do your commuting? So therefore, you cannot deduct 100% of your truck if you are using it to commute as well, because they want to see some personal commuting time. So this is where that question, when people call me and they say, I'm buying an F-150, is it deductible? Absolutely, it's deductible. But bear in mind, how are you getting around the rest of the time? Do you have a secondary vehicle? Now, if you have a secondary vehicle, you can absolutely claim 100% of your truck, of your work truck, because on the IRS actual tax forms, it says, do you have a secondary vehicle available to use? So this is where I want you to be very careful about your mileage. Not that I think you're going to get audited if you deduct, you know, 10,000 or 12,000 miles. I think you're going to get audited if you deduct 100% of your mileage because nobody can do that. Everybody has a portion of their lives that is personal. Um, and I just never recommend doing that because, again, it's like a red flag to a bullet. warrants the question, what about commuting? What about your personal life? So um, really important about the trucks is to be careful about your mileage. There are a lot of fantastic apps out there that can help you track your mileage. Not a big fan of spending money if I don't have to. So I actually use a good old fashioned calendar for my mileage and under audit where a client has gone in with a calendar, um, we've had no issues at all. It is not required that you have one of these fancy uh, paid for apps. Um, keeping a calendar of any sort, even a paper calendar, is absolutely okay to prove your business mileage. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to understand because especially with today's gas prices and costs of vehicles in your business, this is a significant expense that I don't want you to leave money on the table. So any questions about mileage and automobiles? No questions yet, Wendy. Okay, awesome. So Another deduction that I see often forgotten or kind of not taken in your industry is meals. So when you're on the road and you do a drive-through for lunch, uh, or you stop at Subway, or you stop at Whole Foods and you pick up lunch, that is deductible. Of course, it's part of your day, it's part of your work. Um, when you buy it for your team, that is deductible. When eat in a restaurant, that is only 50% deductible. So let's assume that you and I go to dinner on a Saturday night um, and the bill is $300.
only 150 of that is deductible because there's an element of entertainment. Now that does not mean do not take the deduction. It means take the deduction and be as aggressive as you wanna be, ordinary and necessary. How is a meal in a restaurant on a Saturday night an ordinary and necessary business expense? So it's two things. One, you keep the receipt. And two, you have a place in your gut that says, I can do this. So if taking a meal from a restaurant uh, any night of the week and or on the weekend doesn't feel right to you, makes you uncomfortable, doesn't feel like a legitimate business expense, you don't do it. But for those of you on the call who want to play in the gray area, I guarantee that your friends and neighbors are deducting their meals, their drinks in bars, their parties, and calling them business expenses because it is impossible to audit. So if you are in the unlikely event of getting audited and you get a letter saying, Ms. Barlin, please substantiate this meals expense. First of all, I have my receipt. And then they say, what was your business purpose? Oh, I had dinner with Mr. Wilkinson and we talked about um, working together on a potential new business. Or we talked about a situation with a client that they were having that I can help them resolve. Okay, are they going to call Mr. Wilkinson and just, did you have dinner with Ms. Barlin on May 3rd? And what did you talk about? First of all, they don't have the manpower to do that. And second of all, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. Never mind if someone were to call me and ask me about who I had dinner with last month or last year. So really, it comes down to ordinary and necessary. What's your gut check? Where do you want to play in the gray? And do you have a receipt to support it? So that's really meals and entertainment is a big one especially because the entertainment piece is no longer deductible. So you cannot be buying uh, baseball seats or theater tickets for your clients anymore, but you can take them out to dinner. That is deductible. So I really want you to think about that next time you're picking up lunch, next time you're going out to dinner. Now, I try not to be greedy about it. Okay, let's not be silly. I don't usually do it when there's kids meals on the tab. So if I've taken my kids with and you can see on the receipt, it's like kids meal, kids meal. I generally don't do that. I'll do it if it's an adult dinner, me and my husband, me and a friend, me and a colleague, um, me and my mom. Then I might look at them and go, hmm, could this be a deductible expense? Let me see. Did we, did we have a business purpose? And is it reasonable and ordinary and necessary that someone in my business would deduct this expense? So that's where I also love the idea of you having a tax advisor. One of the things I see a lot is business owners hiring tax preparers. So someone to complete your tax return for you once a year and then expecting them to be a tax advisor. And sadly, they're generally not because most tax preparers are doing a thousand tax returns. They don't have time to be your advisor. So if you want advice, and if you wanna banter these conversations back and forth with someone, should I take a home office? How many meals should I deduct? Do you think this meal is deductible? Do you think going to this show is deductible? If you wanna have those discussions, I highly recommend you talk to your tax advisor and say, you know, oh, sorry, talk to your tax preparer and say, 
can you give me advice on this? Is this something that we can talk about? I'll pay you because you are going to have to pay for that advice, but it can be extremely valuable if you think about all the deductions that you could potentially take that you don't even know about because there's been no one to help you. So asking your tax preparer to also step in and be an advisor is a big deal. And I really recommend you do that because a preparer is just going to take the numbers you give them put it in the computer and pound out a clean looking tax return. Nowhere in there is there really space for a discussion about what else is deductible? What could I have missed? Where else are there deductions I don't know about? So that's just an aside. So we've talked about home office. We've talked about ordinary and necessary. We've talked about mileage and we've talked about meals. Um, does anybody have any questions right now? No questions yet. Okay, awesome. So in terms of the practicality of taxes, now I want to talk a little bit about cash. I am a fan of the profit first system. And I know you didn't think you were getting homework, but here you go, you're getting homework. So for everybody on the call today, your homework is to read the book or listen to the audio called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I've been doing this for 25 years, and it is the only system that has worked for me and my clients to show us how to use our cash and always have the money for taxes. Because the biggest issue I see today is business owners will come to the end of the year and we do all the calculations and I go, okay, Ron, you owe 50,000. And Ron goes, oh, I don't have it. I just bought a new truck. Okay, now what? Now we have to do a payment plan with the IRS and you're going to end up paying $1,000 a month for the next three years. It's just painful. So in order to not be in that situation, I highly recommend implementing Profit First. And what Profit First says is that you set up a separate savings account for taxes, separate from your regular savings account, okay? Another savings account that is called tax savings. And every week, when you get deposits from clients, you put a percentage of your deposits into your tax savings account and you do not touch it unless you're bleeding and homeless. And the reason that we do it that way is that when your income goes up, your tax savings is going up, right? Because it's a percentage. So as your deposits go up, the money that you put away for taxes is going to go up. And the reason that this works so nicely is I just had a client this week who'd been putting away $1,000 a month for his taxes. Fine. He was so proud of himself. He's like, ah, I've saved almost $12,000. Great. The problem is his income has doubled compared to last year. So he's going to owe double that in taxes. But he didn't even know that because he'd just been putting away the same amount every month. So we don't want to put away a hard amount. We want to put away a percentage of your income. What percentage? Well, that's what we need to figure out. Most small business owners are somewhere between 10% and 20% of their deposits, not of your bottom line, of your deposits. And it's also state dependent. So if you're in a state with high taxes like California or New York, you'd have a higher percentage if you're in Texas or Nevada, then you're likely got a lower percentage, right? So you want to figure out what that percentage is with your tax advisor. And then every week, I sit down in front of my computer and add up my client deposits, and I move that percentage into a tax savings account that I do not touch. Then when it comes to making my estimated payments, guess what? 
the money is sitting there. And I don't have that awful feeling in the pit of my stomach of taking tax money out of my personal savings account. Because that used to just break my heart. I would have people say, Wendy, I've got 80,000 in savings. I'm like, woohoo. Okay, 50 of it has to go to the government. And then I just watch people's faces just like, oh, what? That was everything I've saved all year. Yes, but it was never your money. You were just holding it for the government. So now both the practicality and the mindset of having two savings accounts, one is Wendy's personal savings and one is Wendy's savings for taxes, kind of takes away that emotion of when I have to make my estimated payments, I pay from what's in the tax savings account because there it sits and off it goes. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, what questions do we have right now, AJ? All right, so we do have one question from Richard. He asks, if I don't work for the whole year, but I transfer money from my personal account to business accounts to pay bills, do I still have to file tax even though there were no income? So uh, I believe the income limit this year is 12000 So if you have less than 12000 you might... You do not have to file. However, I'll tell you this. Um, I would file because those expenses that you've paid, even though you have no income, those expenses that you've paid, if you don't get to deduct them this year, you can carry them forward to next year. But you can only do that if you file a return because taxes are cash-based. And what that means is during a calendar year, Whatever you spend is deductible in the calendar year. So I cannot deduct a ladder in 2023 that I bought in 2022. I have to buy it in 2023 to get the deduction in 2023. But if I don't have any income, I file a tax return telling the government, these are all the expenses I had. I have no taxable income. But those expenses are now attached to 2023. When you file your 2024 tax return, and hopefully you do have income, you can take those 2023 deductions and carry them over. And that's the reason that I do like to file every year. And I also just like to be in the system so that you never get a letter saying, excuse me, why didn't you file? And then you've got to say, well, because I didn't make any money. Okay, then how did you pay your bills? So I actually like to file every year, whether you made money or not. You do not need to pay a tax preparer to do it for you. There's free filing on the IRS website. And then the next step up from that is um, there are a lot of uh, softwares like Tax Cut and Tax Pro. They're really easy to use. They cost $30 and it's a Q&A. So they say, did you have any income? No, check the box. Did you buy a ladder? Yes. Did you drive a car? Yes. Um, very simple and easy to use. So I do recommend that you do go ahead and file um, every year, even if you don't owe anything. Anything else? So everybody's going to do their homework. Everybody's going to read Profit First. That is, for me, the very best way to manage your cash and your taxes, whether you're a small business or a large business or a corporation or not a corporation, it doesn't matter. So um, I want to just wrap up by saying that we always keep in mind ordinary and necessary for my business and keep receipts. And those two things will stand you in good stead, no matter what happens with the little nuances of the law. Ordinary and necessary and keep your receipts. 
And then you can find me at wendybarland.com. There are a lot of free resources on my websites, worksheets, checklists. Please don't be shy to use those. Um, my book called That's Deductible, a thin, easy read with lots of pictures um, is available on Amazon. So you can find everything at wendybarland.com. And of course, don't be shy to reach out to me if you have a specific question that you weren't comfortable asking in front of everybody today. Um, but if there are no other questions, AJ, we can wrap it up. Thank you so much. Bye.